Good morning, everyone. I just want to highlight two things before we go into the Word of God. You have your bulletin. Please take note of the announcement in the middle section. There are two things that uh, we're highlighting. First is that uh, we're answering a question that was asked by some members about the affirmation ballot that we took during the AGM. If you came for the AGM, uh, you know what this means. Right, uh, as a long explanation, so I decided to write a two-page explanation so that if you read it, you know what we are doing so that you know, everyone understands why we do what we do. Okay, so please uh, take time to read it. And the second matter has to do with increased security. As we know, this is the kind of world we're living in today. And uh, we have to take extra precautions. So uh, we have already started several weeks back, in fact, recruiting volunteers uh, to basically patrol uh, the area. But we need more volunteers to go to the next uh, stage where we will be screening bags at the entrance. Okay, this is just a precautionary measure, but we need more volunteers. So we trust that you will assist us as well as uh, be vigilant and report to us anything that requires attention, you know, any bags left un unattended and uh, people who are loitering around, okay? All right. Now, what have we learned thus far about the Holy Spirit? That He is a person with feelings. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus promised to send him to his disciples after he would ascend back to heaven so that he would be another helper, but another helper of the same kind. That means it would be as if Jesus would continue to be with them, even though not physically, but in the person of the Holy Spirit to teach them, to reveal truth to them, and to guide them and also to convict of sin and to give them the desire and the strength to obey God. Now, we know that Jesus actually fulfilled this promise because in Acts chapter 2, we find the first occurrence of God pouring out His Holy Spirit. Okay? And from then onwards, we find this happening and recording uh, and. Luke recording this every time this happened to a new group of people or a new category of people. And we know that the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is something not only found in the book of Acts, but it is also something that was practiced in the early church. It was a normal Christian experience. However, as the church went through the different centuries, and especially after persecution ended through the edict of toleration of Emperor, Nero, uh, Emperor Constantine, that instead of the people persecuting the church, they were running into the church so that they could get material advantage. And so the, the church was no longer pure and lost that fervor, no longer believed in spiritual gifts or healing and most of the people who come to church were not even Christians, not even saved, okay? So this continued to decline, and for that 1,000-year period, which is called the Dark Ages, you know, where almost nothing good happened within the church, and God moved in different ways. Of course, you have heard of the Protestant Reformation that we are part of, where uh, God restored the truth about salvation by faith, in Jesus Christ alone and by God's grace and not by being member of the church and doing all kinds of uh, works that were prescribed by the church. So there were many waves of so-called revival and one of those latest ones was about 100 years ago when God began to pour out His Holy Spirit upon His people and they were hungry and thirsty for God. They wanted to live holy lives. They were not satisfied with just going to uh, attend church in a very formal, institutionalized way. And so, out of this hunger and thirst, God poured out His Holy Spirit in the United States of America and it spread to other countries like 
in Europe, Latin America, and South America. And many of these people, after they experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like in the book of Acts, chapter 2, and they spoke in tongues, and their churches could not accept them because they believed that, you know, this is over. This is only in the first century. So many of them had to leave their own churches, and they had to come together to encourage each other. And as a result, they formed different uh, fellowships or denominations. And one of those that was formed about 100 years ago is the Assemblies of God movement. In America, they use this logo on the left, Assemblies of God, all the gospel. And this was adopted uh, in every country where they send missionaries to. But in recent years, the last one, two years, uh, this has been updated to look a little bit more contemporary. So on the right is the Assemblies of God of Malaysia logo. This is the organization that PCC is accountable to. Okay? We are not an independent church. We are part of a large fellowship, uh, not only nationally, but affiliated and in fellowship with the Assemblies of God in uh, something like 100 over to 200 countries in the world. Right? So where did this start? Our roots as a church goes back 100 years to the Azusa Street Revival. This is a corner of Los Angeles, 1906, where God poured out His Holy Spirit and uh, the people just you know, experienced the supernatural. They spoke in tongues. And, and as a result of that, they realized this is what God promised in the book of Joel chapter 2. And it's part of the whole passage on the end times, you know, like just before Jesus comes, comes back to judge the earth. So they thought the world is going to end very soon, so we better send missionaries, you know, to the whole world. And they did. Okay? And they sent missionaries, including to Malaysia. This couple, Dan and Anita Bogdan, were sent to Penang by the Assemblies of God of America. And they had charismatic meetings, and in the mid-70s, mid by 1981, they decided to plant a church in Penang. Together with Pastor Ronald Ui, they called this church Penang Christian Center. And that's why we are here today, <laughs> right? So we are actually the product or the result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 100 years ago. And it is still going on in many parts of the world, okay? So, we are what? Uh, we, we are called Pentecostals. Can you say the word Pentecostals? Okay. What is a strange word? Pentecostal. It comes from the word Pentecost, which is the name of the Jewish festival, major Jewish festival, that happens 50 days after Passover. Now, you know Passover points forward to Jesus being the Lamb of God who will be slain, right, for our sins. So, but 50 days after the Passover, there was a Jewish festival called Pentecost, right? Pente from Greek meaning 50. So, it's 50 days after Passover. And God chose to pour out His Holy Spirit for the first time on this Jewish feast called Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, which is recorded in Acts chapter 2. And because they spoke in tongues, now they call the people who speak in tongues Pentecostals. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? So if you speak in tongues, you can be called Pentecostal. Okay? Pentecostals. <laughs> we are part of a worldwide movement and in 1966, it was estimated there were about 10 million Pentecostals in the world. And today, there are at least 300 million. And the number is still growing as God continues to pour out His Holy Spirit. So we are part of what God is doing in these last days. I want to answer four important questions this morning. Number one is, what is a baptism in the Holy Spirit? Now, this may be new to some of you. Maybe it's a review for the rest. Number two, how is the baptism in the Holy Spirit different 
from the Holy Spirit's work in regeneration or salvation. Number two, number three, how do we know that we have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And number four, how may we receive it? How do we actually receive this baptism in the Holy Spirit? So let's go to the first question. What exactly is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Now, this were the last words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, before he ascended to heaven. Right? He already come back from the grave, and he spoke these words probably about eight or nine days before, uh, this, before Acts chapter 2. Uh, the event, right? So we know that straight after this, these words were recorded that Jesus ascended to heaven. So we know that these are his last words, which are very important words, by the way. Okay? And being, now let's read this together, then we will pray. Are you ready? Let's go. These are the words of Jesus spoken just before he ascended, right? And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, and then we jump to verse 8. But you shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, say upon. Okay, it's significant because uh, Luke uses the same terminology several times. Huh? And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to visit us so that these words will not just be theory but experience for each of us, that we may also receive power to be your witnesses. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen? So, I want you to look closely at those words. Huh? Jesus had already come back from the grave. Okay? And just skip ahead two frames, and you know that in John 20, verse 21, this is earlier, just, I don't know how many days earlier, but this after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to them. He said, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you, right? And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So we know that they had already received the Holy Spirit after the resurrection, Okay, Jesus breathed on them His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was already in them. Right? But, and, and Jesus says, I'm going to send you. As the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. Right? But then, some days later, you go back to Acts 1, Jesus told them, I'm going to send you, but don't depart from Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem yet. Why? Wait for the promise. Say, wait. Okay? Wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, so to speak, right? So, now, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So, Jesus told His disciples, I'm going to send you but not yet. You must wait still a few more days. He didn't tell them how many days, right? But they waited, okay? And I was, it, it was like, you know, okay, he has already risen from the grave. He's breathed on them, his Holy Spirit. They have received his command to go, but still they were not ready. So it's a very funny situation, you know? Go, but then don't go yet. Hello? Are you with me? Right? As the Father has sent me, I send you. But wait, wait, don't go yet. You know, it's like, what's going on? So, where, what is the situation the disciples were in, in this, uh, at this time, okay? After resurrection and before Pentecost, before that great event that was promised. So, well, 
I was thinking about how to illustrate this. So on Friday morning, I was cycling up Bukit Rela, you know, Botak Hill, and I came across something that I thought would be great to help us visualize this, okay? Now, so I picked up this, okay? It was on the ground. You can see, right? Okay, what's this? It's a durian, okay? Now, it's a, it's a perfect-looking durian, okay? And, uh, but there is a problem here. And that is, this durian, even though it looks perfect, it left the tree a bit too early. Are you with me? All right? If only it had stayed in Jerusalem <laughs> for a few more days, right? It would be ready to fulfill its mission. So, it's like Jesus saying to his disciples, you know, yeah, my spirit is already in you, but you're not ready because there will come a time when my spirit will come on you. Now, it's like this, you know, the, the life of the durian that is in the sap of the tree had already flowed, been flowing into this durian, right, for weeks and weeks, okay? And so you could say that, you know, the, the essence... <laughs> I don't want to say spirit. Yesterday I said spirit, okay. The essence of the durian is already in, the, in this fruit, right? But still, it is not ready. Now, I know this is true because uh, I left this in my office yesterday afternoon and I had to open the window because, wow, the smell, not bad, okay? <laughs> Actually, it's starting to open a bit too, you know? <laughs> All right. But it cannot fulfill its purpose. It's not ready yet. And what is the purpose of this durian? What is the purpose of this durian? Come on. To be eaten! Okay. Of course, God made a durian for us to eat, right? But can we eat this durian? No, because it is not ready to be eaten. There still needs to be more essence from the durian tree flowing into this fruit. Okay? And as a result, it's also not ready for another purpose, which is to multiply. Right? The seeds are not mature enough yet to be planted. Okay? So it's like this. The disciples had already received the life of Jesus in them, but they were not ready to go out to fulfill the mission because there was still more that God wanted to do, not only in them, but pour out on them. Just like this durian. And finally, all the essence of the durian has already gone into the durian. It will fall. <laughs> and it will be ready to fulfill its mission. Okay? So this is where the disciples were. They, of course, they didn't understand. You know? Yeah, I'm sending you, but don't go yet. You know, wait, wait for what? You know, the promise of the Father. What's the promise of the Father? They had no idea, but they obeyed. And what was the main purpose of the promise? To be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? So, what we know is this, that there is a difference between the Holy Spirit coming on a believer. Next slide and the Holy Spirit coming into the believer. You know, the Holy Spirit was already in them, but He had not yet come on them. And that was the promise of the Father. And we know that every time this happened, Luke thought it was so significant that he recorded it. Of course, he couldn't record everything. Otherwise, your, your book of Acts will be a very big book. Right? So he recorded a significant event. Every time this happened, the first time to a new group of people, a new kind of people, category, he would record it. For example, in Acts chapter 2, we, we have the first, the first Pentecostal outpouring. And God chose it on, to do it on the day of Pentecost, okay, that, that big festival, when all the Jews came back from the various parts of the world. They were scattered in. It says they were in one place... Suddenly there came this from a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Okay, wind is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Okay, and uh, water as well. 
okay, that we had water just now. Okay. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire. That means, you know, they were, there was like a, a tongue of fire sitting on each of them and sat upon each of them, okay? So it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming on them. And what was the result? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to what? Speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or gave them the language, okay? So this is the first time Holy Spirit had come upon them. In this case, it was symbolized by the tongues of fire. The next time this happened was some, some years later, perhaps when the gospel had gone to the Samaritans, which were half-Jews. These were the not pure, you know, breed, so to speak, despised by the uh, Jews. And it says, while Peter, uh, X8 rather, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, the Holy Spirit had fallen upon none of them. Okay? The Holy Spirit was already in them because they had received the Word. Okay? And it says they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means they've gone through the waters of baptism. Right? But... The Holy Spirit had not come on them yet. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, we are not told the manifestation, but it was so significant that the Simon the magician saw and said, Wow, by laying on of hands, something happens to them. And he wanted to buy that power. So obviously something happened through the laying on of hands. Okay. We're not told what exactly happened. Then, next, we jump to Acts 10. And by now, the gospel had gone to the Gentiles, which are just like the majority of us. You know? We have no Jewish blood. And Peter very reluctantly went to share with them. And while Peter was still speaking these words, which is the gospel, explaining who was Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fell upon, say upon, Okay? Notice Luke is using the same word. He's choosing his words carefully. Fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Now, why were they astonished? They were shocked. This should not happen. Because we are the family of God. And God has given us the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. These people don't even belong to the family of God. How can God give them the Holy Spirit? So, it didn't agree with their theology. In fact, they expected anyone who wants to come to Christ to also become a Jew first. You know? That means the, the whole idea of you have to be circumcised. Okay? So, they were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues. And magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? That's Peter is saying to his colleagues, you know, I know you don't like this, but they received the Holy Spirit in the same way that we did. Right, recorded in Acts chapter 2. Okay. So, we've got to baptize them. We've got to accept them. Yeah, they're not circumcised, but so what? God already accepted them. Okay? So Acts 19 is when the gospel moved out of that immediate vicinity into uh, Turkey today, Asia Minor, Ephesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, now notice they already baptized in water. They already repented. They had Christ's spirit living in them. But then Paul laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And he spoke with tongues and prophesied, right? So, so what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is the Holy Spirit coming on the believer, okay? Instead of just living in, in us. How is this different from the Holy Spirit's work in regeneration and salvation? Now, there are a few aspects. Number one, 
timing. Usually there's a delay. It could be a matter of minutes, hours, days, months, years. Okay? It de depends on the individual. And it is a subsequent experience after repentance and water baptism. In most cases, now we see this happening in Acts 2. The disciples were already baptized and they were already full believers. And Acts 8 and Acts 19, as we read, the only exception was Acts 10, when God had a very special reason to baptize the Gentiles in the Holy Spirit even before they went to water baptism to convince the Jews that he accepted Gentiles even without circumcision. Okay? So, but in all other cases, it was after water baptism, after repentance, right? And it's different from the work of the Spirit in regeneration in how it's received. You see, when you came to Christ and you received forgiveness, did someone put their hand on you? For most of us, no. Because that's not the way it's usually done, right? But somehow we find the example that it was through Peter and John laying hands on the Samaritans. It was, you know, through... Uh, uh, Paul and so on that, you know, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? So, number three, the purpose is different. It's expressly for boldness, to equip for witness and service. And it serves as a gateway to the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. In that sense, it confirms the gospel. That means, you know, to the the signs, for example, healing. When my grandfather received healing, it opened the eyes of my parents that this is true. Jesus is real. Okay? So, it confirms the gospel, the gifts of the Spirit, whether healing or revelation. It confirms the gospel and edifies the church, right? So, this is the main purpose. It is to clothe us with power, from on high, so that we can be bold witnesses. And they went throughout the world in the first century, and they were willing to die for Jesus. Now I ask you, how many of us are willing to even open our mouths and talk about Jesus for fear of offending the people who may not want to listen? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the same power that came upon the disciples in the first century. Okay? So how can we know we have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We are told, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. How do we know that we are filled? How do we know the Holy Spirit has come upon us? What's the evidence? So we see in the book of Acts that every time this happened for the first time, Luke records what happened? And we see that number, in Acts 2, there was not only violent wind, but tongues of fire, which actually happened before the actual thing. The result was they spoke in tongues. Okay, now, you and I cannot create wind. We are, you and I cannot create tongues of fire. That is a supernatural thing. Only God can do it. Are you with me? Right? But they spoke in tongues. And this is what was repeated. No, we don't see wind and fire anymore after this, but we see tongues repeated. Acts 10, they spoke in tongues. Okay? Household of Cornelius. Acts 19, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So we can conclude from looking at the objective evidence in every new group of people that God visited and poured out His, His Holy Spirit that the initial physical evidence that means the first thing that happens that is visible outside is that they spoke in tongues. Okay? And in fact, this convinced the Jewish Christians, narrow-minded Jewish Christians, to receive the Gentiles. Why? For they heard them speak with tongues. Acts 10, 46. Okay? For they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. This is what convinced Peter. And in fact, Peter was asked and questioned, why do you baptize these Gentiles? 
Shouldn't they be circumcised first and then join the Jewish family and then, then only, you know, uh, they'll be baptized in the name of Jesus? And Peter explained himself, Acts 11, when he was questioned. He says, you know, I had no hand in it, you know. God did it sovereignly. Just as he said that, you know, he would, that John baptized only with water, but we shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And his argument in verse 17 is this, if therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? See? So what actually convinced them? It was the speaking in tongues. It convinced the Jewish believers that God had given the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. Now this is the only evidence of the Holy Spirit's baptism in the New Testament. And if it's good enough for Peter, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for the apostles, it's good enough for me. If we reject this, then what other evidence shall we look for? There are many other subjective things that can happen when the Holy Spirit comes on people. I've seen many of these over the last 40 over years. Okay? Very often, people will get emotional. They will, they will cry. Okay? They will have tears. Right? They will weep. And sometimes they say they feel heat going through their body or cold. Sometimes they will shake. Right? Their hands may shake. Sometimes they will fall down to the ground. Okay? So which is the evidence? It's all subjective. You know? It depends on the person. So if you are looking for subjective evidence, you can never be sure. Did I actually get the Holy Spirit or did I get something else? You see? So it's safe to stay with the Scriptures and say, yes, this is the objective criteria that confirms that we have received the Holy Spirit. So we must subject our own subjective experience to the Word of God rather than interpret the Bible using our experience. We should interpret our experience using the Bible because the Word of God is the one that cannot go wrong. Okay? So, we see that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. And that leads me to the question, of all the possible signs when the Holy Spirit comes on people, on believers, why did God choose tongues? Why did God choose this funny thing? When an adult will speak in a language that he doesn't even understand. Why did God choose such an unusual sign to confirm that the Holy Spirit has come upon His people? Obviously, there must be some benefit to the sign as well. So, what are the benefits of speaking in tongues, which is also a sign of the Holy Spirit coming on us and is also a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That means he's strengthening his own spirit man. Okay? But he who prophesies edifies the church. Right? Uh, verse 14 and 15, Paul says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful. What's the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. Now what is Paul saying here? He says, speaking in tongues is like praying with our spirit instead of praying with our minds. Okay? The Holy Spirit is praying through my spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit prays through our spirit. Now, this is very useful because there are times when we don't know how to pray. So the Holy Spirit prays through our spirit. And sometimes it is in groanings. It cannot be uttered. Okay? So what's actually happening when we speak in tongues? According to 1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15, number one, we are speaking to God. We are communing with God by the Holy Spirit. It's basically prayer and praise directed to God in the language of spirit inspiration. It's not, you're not talking to men. You're not talking to people around you. When you, when you speak in tongues, you're actually talking to God. Can you say Amen. Amen? And number two, we are speaking mysteries by the Spirit. 
outside of the understanding of the speaker and the hearer. Number three, we are edifying ourselves through our communion with God. And most of this, of course, is in private prayer and praise. Okay? And you know, this is wonderful that you don't need your mind to strengthen your spirit, man. Okay? Sometimes you use your mind. When your mind is too tired, you don't need to use your mind. And you can still build yourself up. At the, long, at the end of a long, tiring day, your mind, are oh, you too tired already? How? <laughs> well, you can pray in the Spirit and build up your spirit man. This is what Jude 20 is all about. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is normal first century Christian life. Christians prayed in the Holy Spirit. Okay? They sing in the Spirit, they sing in the language, they know, they pray in the Holy Spirit, and with, in, in tongues, in, in words they don't understand, they also pray in the language they understand. And we need both, really, you know. It's not like either one or the other. Okay? So there's a benefit in both. Now, I want you to, to see that there is a vertical and there is a horizontal dimension in our worship and in speaking tongues, there's also a vertical, uh, upwards, and there's a horizontal, a sideways aspect of speaking tongues. For example, speaking tongues is generally directed upwards or vertically to God, not horizontally to people. Most of the time, this is true, okay? And Paul confirms this. He says 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to who? To God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Okay, now, in the context of corporate worship, when we are all worshiping God at the same time, okay, we are all here to worship who? God, right? So we want to lift up his name. Now, when we do this, is, is there any issue what language can be used? I know that most of us here, we sing in English, we put the words up in English, right? But during a time when we are, you know, just worshipping God in between the, the lines, okay, of the music, during the pause, can you also? Puji Tuhan! Nandri, Nandri, Yesu! That is praise Jesus, is it, right? Huh? Can you also say, Oh, Chan Meiju! You know? Can or not? Can. Is there any issue? No. Are we going to say, hey, sorry, what do you say? Huh? Please interpret. Huh? Because we use English only here. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's no issue. When we are worshipping God as upwards, huh? the direction of the worship service is upwards, there's no, like, there's no issue of language, really. You can use any language that you are familiar with because you are not talking to me. I'm not talking to you. Okay? Of course, when we sing, we should sing in the same language, lah, right? For unity, okay? Right? But strangely nowadays, when sometimes we sing in the same service, you can sing the same song, but in another language also. Okay? Because if that language suits you better, by all means, right? So language is not an issue, and understandability is not an issue when the direction of worship is upwards, okay? The corporate worship, doing that part of the corporate worship is upwards, Okay? So, which is why, you know, we, we can worship in English, we can worship in, in the, the, our heart language, we can worship in tongues. There's no issue. We don't need translation for any language. Okay? We're all talking to God at the same time. But there is another time in the service where the direction is not upwards, but it is sideways. Okay? It is horizontal. Are you with me? For example, if, we, if somebody starts to you know, let's say it's, it quiets down, you know, and somebody starts to speak in tongues. Very loud. Then we are wondering, is God saying something to us? Okay. Then we need someone to interpret. Are you with me? Because it's no longer upwards, it's sideways. Okay. Or if someone is giving a prophecy, right, a, a, a message in tongues followed by interpretation is equal to a prophecy, it's the same purpose. Right, to encourage, to edify, to strengthen. Okay? So, but if someone prophesies during that quiet time and he prophesies in a language that you and I don't understand, 
What good is that? Huh? Or if someone comes up and shares a testimony and he speaks in a language that you don't understand, how does that help? We need interpretation, right? Now, to use an extreme example, if when I come up, now Pastor Isaac is going to share the Word of God and I come up and I preach to you in tongues for 40 minutes. <laughs> Will you be blessed? Some of you say, good time to sleep. <laughs> Since I don't understand. <laughs> okay, right? Of course, we won't do that because this, during this time, the direction is not upwards. It is sideways. It is horizontal. Okay? And when Paul actually wrote in chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 1 Corinthians 14, he was correcting abuses. Now, the Corinthians Christians, we know that they are very spiritual, but also very carnal at the same time. Right. They didn't lack any of the spiritual gifts, but they also were very carnal. And as a result, they had this very strange theology that the moment a person speaks in tongues, he has been translated into the next world. He has already reached the heavenlies. Okay? And so they thought, wow, speaking in tongues is the demonstration that I have arrived. I am very spiritual now. I'm almost like the angels, you know? Right? So... As a result, during the worship service, they were speaking tongues left, right, right center, you know. Uh, it was total chaos. Okay? Nobody was getting help. So Paul wrote to them largely to correct abuses. Okay? 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, 14 is not a prescription to say, you know, okay, when you have a worship service, this is what you do, A, B, C, D, E. No, it is actually descriptive of what was going on and it is corrective. That means he was correcting their wrong practices. And that's why he says, you know, everything must be done decently and in order. If somebody wants to speak a word in tongues, let somebody interpret, right? Let that, during that horizontal time, okay? And at the rest of the time, you know, uh, hold your peace, okay? Because the spirit of prophet is subject to the prophet, which means, you know, you cannot say, Pastor, I said, I cannot help it. I feel I have to speak <laughs> in tongues. Quiet, quiet, I'm preaching now. Don't, don't speak. <laughs> okay? There's a proper time for everything. Alright? So, uh, he was basically correcting their wrong practices. Okay? But, at no time did he say, you know, don't, don't speak in tongues. You know, stop speaking. There's no use. No, in fact, he told them in chapter 14, verse 5, he says, I wish all of you spoke with tongues. But he also said, I, but I prefer because of the disorder. He says, I prefer you are prophesying. At least then you are edifying your, your brothers during that time, you know, when we're supposed to encourage one another, okay? During the, the horizontal direction of the worship service. Why does Paul say, you know, yeah, I wish you all speak in tongues? Because it actually enriches your life personally. There's a time for that. In our personal prayer life and even in our corporate worship, there's a time when it's upward, okay? So having said that, now the last question, how may we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How, how can we receive the same experience that the believers receive in Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19? How? Well, usually it happens after water baptism. Usually, sometimes even before water baptism, all right, rarely. And oftentimes through the laying out of hands. Okay? Now, some people receive it even without laying out of hands. It's not unusual. Okay? And remember, it's a gift. That means you don't deserve it. Tell the person beside you, you don't deserve. Yeah, you're never good enough. You know? If you feel like, oh God, I want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but now I'm not holy yet. I'm not holy enough. Yeah, you will never be. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Because you're not holy. Hello? If you're holy, you don't need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you can do it by yourself, right? So, in a sense, we, we never deserve it. But we need it. And because we need it, we must desire for it. And Jesus said in John 7, 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes. So, it's not enough to thirst. You must also believe. You must trust in simple faith. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the key that Jesus gives us is first 
and believe. Okay? You see the two words? If anyone thirsts, desire. And if anyone believes. Okay? So we need to thirst and we need to believe. Okay? So it's simple faith. Just like you know, you receive <coughs> salvation. You receive the Holy Spirit. It's the same faith. But remember this, when the Holy Spirit comes on us, it is your voice that's speaking. It's your tongue. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a tongue. It doesn't have a voice box. It is your voice that's speaking. He gives you the inspiration. He gives you the language. It's just like this. A musician, you know, can receive inspiration, right? And he says, oh, I'm so inspired. I've got, I've got this tune. Oh, I've got this tune, you know, in me. How can it be expressed? The tune cannot jump at you, right? The tune will be expressed through his voice. And he picks up the instrument and he plays. So the inspiration may come from above, but the expression is through the vessel, through the human body. Are you with me? Right? So which means you, you must cooperate. You know, you cannot say, Holy Spirit, baptize me, love. Baptize me, love. I'm ready. Your mouth is shut. <laughs> you don't do anything, you know. <laughs> it's not, I'm not saying it cannot happen. <laughs> it's not so likely, right? Basically, it is true worship and praise. While you're worshiping, praising God, when the Spirit comes on you, it becomes very natural that you will just continue to speak. But in this case, you're speaking a language you don't understand, right? And this is why... Some people find it hard to receive because their mind tells them, you know, what's going on? I don't want to speak anything that's nonsense. Right? Okay, if you don't want to speak nonsense, you never speak in tongues. <laughs> because to your mind, it's nonsense. To God, it makes all the sense. Are you with me? Because you're not speaking to yourself or anyone else. You're speaking to God. So if you're very self-conscious, right, you probably won't flow with the Spirit. You will not cooperate. You will hold back. So overcoming the mental barrier is often the most difficult. Sometimes, you know, it takes a long time. I mean, I, I'm a very rational person. Very rational. It took me more than one year before I spoke in tongues. Okay? Because I heard the, the guy, the older Christian, you know, he spoke one phrase, you know. Just one phrase. One boring phrase. All the time he spoke the same phrase. I, I said to myself, when, I, when the Holy Spirit comes on me, I don't want to speak like him. <laughs> same boring phrase. <laughs> so my mind was actively working all the time, analyzing everything. So I had a hard time. It took me a year plus before I, I learned to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And guess what? When I finally surrendered to the Holy Spirit, I spoke one phrase only. <laughs> God has a funny way of doing, dealing with us, right? But the timing is sovereign. God's sovereign timing, really. Uh, I cannot promise you, you know, you come forward now, we lay hands on you, you will speak in tongues. No, I cannot. God decides when, okay? And of course, you must overcome the hurdles, the barriers in your mind. And we don't do what some charismatics do, you know. They, they try to help God out, you know. It's like they tell the person, okay, now, can you say hallelujah? Okay, hallelujah. Again, again, faster, faster, faster. And then they So, okay. No, Holy Spirit, come on you. No, no, no. You are trying to make something happen. We cannot. Now, this is the limitation, right? Uh, I mean, we've been doing this for 40 old years. And every time this happens, I say, God, I cannot do it, Lord. <laughs> I'm not the baptizer. I'm only a channel. I can only lay hands. And if you don't baptize them, nothing is going to happen. Okay? So we are only channels. God is sovereign in His timing. But much depends on the individual, how ready you are, how open you are, whether you are still trying to work this out in your mind, and whether you are ready to flow and cooperate with God's Holy Spirit. But God is sovereign in His timing. Sometimes there's a delay. And so we ask, why? Eh? Why so long? Waiting is not wasted time. When you are waiting for God, when you are seeking God, 
it is not wasted time. Can you say amen? Perhaps God is doing something deeper that you can see. He's dealing with us during that time, maybe dealing with our doubt, dealing with you know, our fears and our wrong ideas. Okay? But when the time comes, God's time comes, He will baptize us with His Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? And it will fulfill God's purpose. And when the Spirit comes on us, the durian is ready to drop. <laughs> we are ready to fulfill the purpose of bringing blessing, <laughs> multiplying and so on, right? So, you know, when is it going to happen? I don't know. You know, I, I ride up the hill, I look at the, the durian, you know. When is it going to drop? I don't know. Can I tell? No. When it's ripe, it will drop, right? When all the, the life of the durian has gone into the fruit, it will drop. So, when you come and be prayed for, I don't know when it's going to happen, but when the God's time comes, you'll be baptized Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues, and you'll enter into a, a new dimension where, you know, you can pray in, the, in tongues, pray in the language, you know, back and forth, you know. That is the next thing that God wants to do for many of you. So, I want to ask the, uh, the, the worship team to come back now, and I want to encourage you now. How many of you here, you say, as I said, uh, I have experienced this before. Some point of time, I've spoken in tongues before. You wave to me, come on, just give me an indication, right? You have spoken in tongues at some point of time in your life, okay? All right, that's about maybe 20, 30%, right? Now, how many of you would say, uh, I want to experience this? I want, even though I don't fully understand, I'm not very sure, but I, I think I like to, to experience Come on, wave to me, right? Don't be shy, yeah? There are a few people here, okay? The rest of you, you say what? Look, see, look, see. Yeah. Is it? I want to see first. Huh? It's all right. Uh, uh, you know, this is God's sovereign work. Okay? We cannot make it happen. Remember this, right? When you're ready, God will take you in the experience, right? But for the time being, uh, if you say, I'm not ready, you know, just stay where you are. Just, you know, worship God. Just be open. Who knows? God may zap you, you know, <laughs> at a time when He thinks it's right, okay? So, uh, but any case, no pressure, okay? Uh, at your own pace, right? But those of you who say, yes, uh, I want to receive, right? Uh, I'm ready or I, I want to be open. Okay, you come forward and you stand on this side, okay? On my left, huh? on this side. Then we know that, you know, you are seeking to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time. Now, those of you who say, yeah, I, I have received, but I have stopped speaking in tongues, you know? Don't know why, yeah? Stuck, you know? Uh, I want the release. Uh, okay, you can come and on this side. We will pray for you. We will have pastors and we ask the cell leaders to help us as well. Okay? So, uh, or you just want someone to pray for you for refreshing, you come to this side. Okay? For those who say, I've never spoken in tongues before, I want someone to pray for me, you come to this side. Okay, let's stand together and let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come.